I'm Ben Forrest. I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. Created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chords Cast. For those of you who are new to listening, my name is Alyssa Mendel and I am a project manager here at Sanford Research in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Today we have two special guests joining us and one just so happens to be a longtime college friend of mine. So if there is ever an episode to listen to, this is the episode. Haley, Lindsay, thank you both for joining me today. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks, Melissa, for inviting us to join this call. Yeah, I think this is going to be an exciting, exciting episode to talk more about the SETBP1 Society. Uh, Haley, if you would, could you introduce the audience? Yeah. I am the mom to a 10-year-old boy with SETBP1 disorder. It's also referred to as SETBP1 haploinsufficiency disorder. I'm also the president and founder of SETBP1 Society, which is an organization dedicated to bringing awareness to SETBP1 disorder, uniting families, and promoting and funding research that'll be, bring us closer to finding a treatment. And Haley, can you tell me a little bit more about SETBP1 disorder? I guess I don't, I don't know enough about it. Yeah. That is not uncommon, Alyssa. SETBP1 disorder is a very rare genetic neurodevelopmental disorder. So individuals with SETBP1 disorder have symptoms including intellectual disability, autism spectrum disorder or autistic traits, childhood apraxia of speech, or another speech or language delay, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, sensory processing disorder, hypotonia, anxiety, and some have seizures. So this is also a disorder that individuals wouldn't necessarily know that they have unless they have very targeted genetic testing. So whole exome sequencing or whole genome sequencing are the type of tests that help to identify that this neurodevelopmental disorder is the cause of their child's challenges. Um, so just to give you a little back, little bit of a genetic background on this. Um, so this disorder is caused by having a change in one copy of the two SETBP1 genes. So for each gene in our DNA, um, we normally have two copies. And this change in the one copy um, for SETBP1 causes it to not function properly. And so the body doesn't make enough of this SETBP1 protein the term haploinsufficiency means that exactly this, one copy of a gene is missing or not functioning properly. And so that's why 
ZEP-BP1 disorder is also called ZEP-BP1 haploinsufficiency disorder. Okay, wow. It sounds like there's a lot that is going on here with this condition, and I want to jump more into that too, but Lindsay, so good to have you. Can you just quick introduce yourself to the audience, who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Lindsay Noonan. My son, Corey, was diagnosed with SETBP1 just about a year ago. Um, he just had his second birthday yesterday. And according to Haley and the rest of um, our community, Corey is actually one of the youngest diagnosed SETBP1 kiddos. Um, he was diagnosed at just seven months old. Wow, that, that, that's really exciting. How, um, Haley, how did, you know, I want to jump back over into the, how you started the foundation and why, why did you start the uh, foundation for SETBP1? So when my son was diagnosed, it was five years ago, and there was not even a name for this disorder. There was not an online community. There was not an organization representing the disorder, and there weren't any active researchers even studying yet. So I spent almost a year, most nights, honestly, after I got the kids to bed, just researching and connecting and trying to find out as much as I could because... When we got the diagnosis, there just was hardly any information about it. Mm -hmm. So, set BP1, if you have a change in this gene, you can actually have two, one of two different disorders. One is set BP1 disorder, like my child and Lindsay's child has. Mm -hmm. And there's also another one, um, a more severe one called Shinzel Gideon syndrome. And this one, um, unfortunately, typically results in um, children dying at a very young age wow. because it's a very progressive disorder or syndrome. And when an individual has a change in the SEP-BP1 gene, then someone needs to identify, okay, which disorder or which syndrome do they have? And when my son was diagnosed, there was just, there were a couple of studies out there that had one or two individuals in the papers. There was one paper that had around 10 individuals documented, but it was buried within this publication that was about a lot of different neurodevelopmental disorders. So there wasn't really much um, data out there to differentiate. So it's, it's a pretty scary journey mm -hmm. when you don't know what to expect. So after about a year of, you know, not honestly not coming up with much, um, I then decided, I think at that point I had connected with two families virtually, neither of which were in the U.S. So during all this time, that's all I had connected with. And um, there was, I came across one Facebook group that was a, labeled as a support group for having uh, like SEPBP1 disorder, but it was one family. So it was basically a support group for the family. And it was in French. Oh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, at that point, then with some encouragement of friends and family, and after enrolling my son in this TIGER study at mm. the University of Washington, we had found out at this point that there had been one individual with a SEP-BP1 change in that study before. So if we participated in that study, it would give us an opportunity to connect with another family. Mm. Um, and we talked with the people that ran that study, and I, we, I was asking them, like, how can we help our son? I've you know, been searching and trying to figure out how to best 
help our son through this journey that's very confusing. It's very hard. I went through so many emotions. I truthfully had a lot of nights crying, just felt like feeling like I just didn't know how to help him. I didn't know much about it. And they had said that they knew of some other groups that had formed nonprofits. And that's how they began to connect families and to learn more about the disorders that they represented. And so truthfully, the next month I started looking into it. And so in 2017, with the support of friends and family, we formed SEPP1 Society. And since that point in time, we now have 113 families from around the world that are united in our community, our Facebook community. We have a website with lots of information about um, publications, which in the last three weeks, we have our first that BP1 haploinsufficiency disorder papers that wow. have more than 30 individuals <clears throat> in each paper. Um, and so now we are laying the foundation so that if someone comes along and their child is diagnosed, um, like Lindsay on this call, <laughs> then there's a lot more references there. Um, it might be a good time for Lindsay to share what it's like for her at this point. <laughs> yeah, Haley, I just want to jump in too. That, that is remarkable. All of the work that you have done in the past, you know, four years, you know, I hear, I talk to a lot of people from all over the world who either have a rare disease or a rare condition or their child does. And you're right that that initial diagnosis can be shocking and terrifying. And it sounds like with the SETBP1 mutation, you know, it can kind of go one of two ways. One is less severe and the other one sounds like it can be fatal. I would imagine that would make it even more nerve wracking when you hear about that diagnosis. Uh, Lindsay and I actually, I remember when Lindsay was telling me about that, you know, several months ago about both of those different conditions that it could lead to. Uh, so, so Lindsay, I do, I want to hear more about Corey's journey. That's exciting. He just turned two, but it really does sound like Haley was able to pioneer a way for kids like Corey to be diagnosed sooner. So I want to hear more about that. Yeah, I'm over here sitting here just like counting my blessings for all the work that Haley has done because it is a very scary journey when you do finally get a diagnosis and Corey's story is a little different. So we started doing blood work at about five months and we got a diagnosis at seven months Um, and we were actually diagnosed with Schinzel-Gideon syndrome first Mm -hmm. Uh, because they're the way that the lab report read it it read heavily towards SGS and that we didn't know there was this other option of um, sub-EP1 disorder so I immediately started doing my own research because it just didn't sound right based on Corey's situation and some of the challenges that he had so I stumbled upon um, the SETBP1 Society website, and I'm not kidding. It was like a huge sigh of relief to find this community of people and parents and families that have been where we are. Most of the kids were older. You know, Mm -hmm. they're three, five, ten years old that these families have gone through a lot of the stuff that we were about to go through. Um, and, and like you said, Haley paved the way all of her hard work just in the last five years has really, really provided a good foundation and baseline for these families to feel number one, that they're not alone. And number two, to, 
to help provide information to these physicians and, and pediatricians that we're working with and Corey's care team to say, hey, we need to focus on motor planning or, you know, he needs to be in physical therapy X amount of days a week. Um, and so it, you know, we have been guided by the work that Haley has done and these other families that have been before us. Wow, that's phenomenal. I would guess too that because Corey would, was diagnosed at a much younger age, you're able to start working on some of these issues that he may have sooner, which could, I would imagine, would lead to hopefully, you know, a better outcome. Is, is that, does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. So, you know, he has been in therapy since he's been in physical therapy at five months old. Okay. He's been in um, occupational therapy and speech therapy. We go to an integrated approach where they treat the whole child. Um, he's been doing that for a year. When we first started doing OT and ST, he could barely even roll to his tummy. Mm. Um, and now, a year later, he, um, Alyssa, I haven't told you this, but he passed a swallow study, which wow. has been a crazy challenge for us. Um, and we avoided a G-tube situation. So I think all of our kids with SEP-BP1 disorder have varying degrees, whether it's mild to severe out of all the um, challenges that Haley mentioned. And I think that Corey being able, you know, because we intervened so early, I'm hopeful that we'll see some progress in, in these areas. And, you know, it's just, we're gonna have to wait and see. I think we're, we're doing all that we can right now and we'll just have to see what the outcome is later. Wow, that's really exciting. And Haley, how do, I just, you know, I think that's remarkable that not only did you set out to, you know, make a better life for your child, but you're now impacting all of these other kids who are going through something similar. I just think that's, you know, so inspirational of what you have done. Uh, so. Tell me, though, what else is needed as far as research goes with uh, the, the mutation in SEP-BP1 for this condition? Yeah, so, you know, I mentioned where we were and what we were starting from. Um, I should also mention, in addition to not knowing much about SEP-BP1 disorder, there wasn't much information about the SEP-BP1 gene. Okay. So there were some more publications about Shenzel Gideon syndrome, and there were and currently are publications showing a link between SEPBP1 and certain blood cancers. Mm. Um, the link to the blood cancers at this point are more linked to gain-of-function mutations, whereas all of our kids with uh, SEPBP1 disorder have a loss-of-function mutation. Okay. Um, so that's also really helpful for our our families to know that as of what we know right now, it's less of a risk for, for our kids, but there just wasn't much out there. So one of our, our goals, you know, besides uniting families and spreading awareness is promoting research. And so from where we started from at this point, we now have mouse models at the Jackson Laboratory, which is amazing. And yeah. we have those mouse models in the hands of a researcher at Baylor who's characterizing them. We have funded, um, helped to fund two other projects to determine if the SEPBP1 gene itself can be targeted to help come up with a treatment targeting the gene. So they have a mouse model where they are going to check if 
when it's missing the gene, if you add it back in, whether or not that helps to ameliorate some of the symptoms of ZBP1 disorder. We also have other research tools. So I'll back up and then step forward. So when, when we first got started, one of the first places I reached out to um, were some other organizations that united rare disease groups. So they, these include Global Genes and NORD. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And Global Genes, their conference, their summit, I attended that first year. And I heard a lot about, okay, if we really want to get researchers interested in our disorder, we need to lay the foundation to make it easier to study the disorder. So some of that foundation has to do with building a registry. So we partnered with Simon Searchlight, who now at this point study, I think it's like it's over 150 genes. But at that point in time, they they had a they had like more, more closer to like a handful, closer to 20. So we convinced them to add our gene to their study. They looked at they look at autism genes, mm-hmm. and although a lot of our kids don't have an autism spectrum disorder label they definitely have autistic traits. Um, And so Simon's added it, and so now we have a repository that we can now track uh, how the disorder, what it looks like in individuals with that BP1 disorder and kind of track the progression. We also didn't have tools like mice or um, induced pluripotent stem cell lines, which are really important to now kind of study like the disorder um, in a dish so that, you know, because you can't study it in humans other than mm-hmm. uh, tests. You know, we can definitely describe what our children are like and give them different tests, but you can't really look at what it's doing in the body. And so, induced pluripotent stem cells, which are basically where you take blood or um, pee in some examples or skin samples, and you basically reprogram those to be like, you can reprogram to be like any cell in the body. So they can reprogram to them to be like neurons, brain cells, and study them and be like, okay, what does that BP1 disorder look like in this scenario? And so we have several researchers who've developed IPSC lines and Simon Searchlight, who I spoke of, they are developing lines for us. So we basically are laying the foundation to have tools available to researchers and we're starting that journey. But we have a long way to go, right? Mm-hmm. We still don't have any treatments. We still don't have a standard of care. So we are learning more and more, but unfortunately we're not at the point where if someone were diagnosed, we can't really hand them, you know, a document or for their uh, medical professional to be able to say, here's exactly what you should do, or here's all of our recommendations. So we're working on making sure we can have a stand, we have standards of care and that we can work towards treatments to help make it easier for our kids and improve their quality of life. At this point, we don't know of any individuals with FEP1 disorder who live independently, so okay. they need supports throughout their entire life. And so we are making ourselves basically to be a group that is enticing for researchers to want to study our gene because the, it's such a new um, avenue to pursue since there's not a lot of research out there. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for different research groups. And so 
we now do have research at um, in Canada at, at um, McGill University and Red Boud and the Max Planck Institute in the Netherlands, um, Murdoch Children's Research Institute in Australia, hmm. Boston Children's, Baylor. It's growing, um, but we need a we need a lot more research. It takes a lot of money and a mm -hmm. lot of time to learn about these disorders. And we're really just starting to scratch the surface. Yeah, I mean, you touched on some really key points that is pivotal when trying to advance research. You know, you started that registry uh, that's crucial too. You have the mouse model, you have the cell lines, and it does sound like you're getting a global reach too with researchers from all over looking into this condition. That's really incredible, I think. Uh, you had mentioned too, though, uh, it, you know, all of this costs money. So what are some... Uh, what are some current um, fundraising campaigns that you guys have going on right now? Yeah, yeah, thanks for asking about that. So something we have coming up very soon is the Million Dollar Bike Ride. It's sponsored by the University of Pennsylvania Orphan Disease Center, and this will be our third year participating. Um, they have around 25 different rare disease groups that ride normally in person, but you know, due to the pandemic over the last two years, it's been virtual and it'll be virtual again this year. And our SETBP1 strong team will ride again and we raise funds specifically for SETBP1 disorder research through this million dollar bike ride event. And the University of Pennsylvania Orphan Disease Center, they, by doing this, they helped promote funding for, you know, numerous rare disease groups and then they also provide dollar for dollar matching up to thirty thousand dollars so it is a great way for our community to double our fundraising efforts to raise awareness and to fund you know critical set bp1 disorder research so over the last two years we've funded three grants mm. and um we also do you know, we have other events, like we have our Giving Tuesday events where we use the Facebook platform for Giving Tuesday to really, you know, spread awareness and promote, to promote awareness of the disorder and to raise funds. Um, but our, our biggest fundraiser is our million dollar bike ride. Yeah, that million-dollar bike ride. I've, I've definitely heard of that one and participated in that myself. That's exciting. Now, Haley, there's people that will listen to this episode from all over the world. You know, we never know whose hands or ears this is going to fall on. If somebody is listening to this and the symptoms you described, it sounds familiar to them that maybe their child might have this where can they go for more information? What is your website that they could go to to look into this further? Yeah, our website is www.setbp1, so that's S-E-T-B-P-1.org. Um, also, if they want to learn a little bit more about our SETBP1 Strong team, then they can go to setbp1.org slash M-D-B-R for Million Dollar Bike Ride. And one of the other things I, I want to mention is, so SEPBP1 disorder at this point, a lot of the symptoms that are unique to SEPBP1 disorder are unique to a lot of other groups yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so, as I mentioned, that you have to have like a whole exome sequencing test. And 
one of the other things we want to get out there is that we're learning more and more that childhood apraxia of speech, um, intellectual disability, autism, there is growing research showing that there's a lot of times a genetic link to these causes. Um, And so there's some great research out there by Dr. Angela Morgan and Dr. Simon Fisher, uh, who Dr. Simon Fisher, they discovered that the FOXP2 gene is linked to childhood apraxia of speech. They are seeing that about one in three kids, maybe even a little higher, who have childhood apraxia of speech have a genetic cause. So we hope that there will be more referrals if you have a child with speech and language delay, uh, autism spectrum disorder, intellectual disability, they're, si- they're finding you know more of a link for sensory processing disorder. Um, to get a genetic test to see if you know that is the cause for their child's challenges. So like mm-hmm. with my son, he just didn't fit in any one bucket. He he had all of these challenges, but when I looked at it, it he basically fit in a lot of buckets, and nothing seemed to fit right until we got the diagnosis. And then it's like, oh, this is why he didn't fit perfectly in this group or this group. It, his challenges are unique, and they're all caused by SETBP1 disorder. And it, it gave us an answer, and I know a lot of parents out there are looking for the answer to their children's challenges. Yeah, you you hit it spot on there. A lot of people are looking for that answer. Uh, Haley, Lindsay, this was a very informative episode. I really, I think it's just incredible, you know, again, the work you have done, Haley, to pave the way for kids like Corey. I know it has brought the Noonans a lot of peace to be able to, and clarity to, you know, help help their son out. So it's happy, it makes me happy to hear everything that you guys have been doing. Uh, is there anything else, Lindsay or Haley, that you'd like to add? No, I just want to thank you so much um, for your time, Alyssa, and for allowing us to tell our story. And I'm hoping, you know, parents or families or researchers are hearing this and are interested to, to learn more. And we'd love to have conversations with those folks. So please reach out. Yeah, Alyssa, thanks so much for having us. Um, if anybody would like to join our SETBP1 strong team, we would love to have additional participants. Uh, you do not have to have a direct connection to our community. Um, so we're happy to share any more information about this wonderful event. And we are so thankful to get to come on your cast and get to share more about SETBP1 disorder. And we appreciate your time. And yes, we are here to answer any questions if anybody wants to reach out directly to us. Awesome. And can, I don't know. can you remind us again, Haley, how we could reach out to you if we were either interested in joining your, your, your bike ride team? Yeah, so you would go to setbp1.org slash mdbr for million dollar bike ride. And you can also, if you have a question, reach out from our website, just at setbp1.org. And we're happy to answer any questions. So thank you so much, Alyssa. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Have a really wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry chords, 
visit us at sanfordresearch.org slash chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Cast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Cords Casts.